Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Dr. Kirk Schneider. Kirk is a leading spokesperson for existential, humanistic, and existential integrative psychology. He is an adjunct faculty member at Saybrook University and Teachers College, Columbia University, and a co-founder and current president of the award-winning Existential Humanistic Institute. Kirk was a 2022 candidate for president-elect of the American Psychological Association and is the author-editor of 14 books, including his latest book, Life Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World. We're excited to have Kurt with us today to discuss his concept of life-enhancing anxiety. Kurt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Graham. Glad to be here. Really nice to have you. Hey, Kurt, I want to give our, our listeners kind of a little bit of a backdrop here. You're an existential humanistic psychologist. Give our listeners an understanding of this theoretical framework and your view of our human experience and our opportunities for growth. Well, to give you the, the boiled down version, it's really about two basic questions, and they run through the whole approach, both implicitly and sometimes explicitly. And that is, how are you presently living? So it clears a space for people to begin that exploration, which we don't often have a chance to do in our very fast-paced, you know, quick-fix-oriented right. society. So it's an extremely important sort of sacred space that existential humanistic therapy attempts to create. So how are you presently living? Gives mm. a person a chance to really check in with their whole body experience, not just their head or outward behaviors, but their whole experience of what's going on. What's really going on in their lives right now? What What's in the forefront? What's present? Mm. Yeah. And then on the heels of that question, and it's uh, organic, it's a kind of a natural question that emerges from that first question. And that is, okay, this is how you're presently living. How are you willing to live? Mm. And that brings in the responsibility element, which is so critical to existential philosophy and psychology. You've really got two basic elements of existential philosophy built into those questions. And that is freedom, the freedom to explore, the freedom to clarify what really matters, what's really important right now. And the question of, okay, given that, what are you going to do about it? I like that idea of being able to raise that conscious awareness. I don't think we stop long enough. In fact, funny enough, our topic today, life-enhancing anxiety, I think a lot of folks, all of us at some degree, don't want to stop. When we stop, things come up. When we stop, we begin to feel. Yes. And when we begin to feel, we become at times anxious. Yes. And so we get busy again, whether it's a manic defense to get busy or distractions and you know pursuing things. But you're saying, let's just pause a wee bit. And let's take a look at something and let's just see where we're at and maybe somehow find a way to make it safe, to manage whatever comes up around that. And then to say, how are you enjoying this? What is what is it in your life right now that you want to keep? Maybe some things you might want to change to maybe find some maybe even deeper meaning to yeah, their lives. Exactly. Well, the, the cultivation of presence is critical to this whole process. 
Mm-hmm. What do I mean by presence? In addition to, to heightened awareness, I mean the, the holding and illuminating of that which is palpably significant. In other words, that which is which really stands forth, which is alive in one's mm-hmm. being and one's experience mm-hmm. within the client and between the client and therapist if we're talking therapeutically. So the holding and illuminating that which is palpably significant and alive within the client and between client and therapist. And uh, the the therapist's job is to help the client to vivify that, to illuminate Mm -hmm. what is deeply present. And that relates again to those two questions that are continually at play in the process, implicitly or explicitly, you know, how are you presently living? What's going on? What's really going on for you and between us? And how are you willing to respond to this? Or Mm -hmm. what are there actions you're willing to take? And of course, this is not usually an overnight process. I mean, this, you know, tends to take a fair amount of time. So we're talking about longer term in-depth therapy and and i and i actually think that we really could use uh significant doses of more time to reflect on our lives in our fast-paced culture mm-hmm. that is something that we have been unfortunately we've been overlooking we've been dismissing and devaluing but it's critical if people in my view uh people most people want to live fuller, richer, more enduring, gratifying lives. You know, it's it's interesting. Our lives right now are kind of conditioned, sometimes indoctrinated, I think, unknowingly that, you know, this fast-paced life and achievement and other things, there's there's going to be some richness in that. There's some good things that are takeaways from that. There's some fun things along the way. But what you're saying is oftentimes the ability to develop deeper meaning is not allowed because we are either so fast paced or maybe unknowingly we're avoiding those things that create anxiety when we pause and stop and the and the beautiful therapeutic relationship where there can be this holding that takes place that maybe sometimes a person can't do on their own but maybe with a therapist's help can have that holding space just to kind of sit and explore and kind of get curious about and they find that it's actually a very safe thing let me yeah. segue just a little bit in, in in this idea that, you know, a lot of therapy is the tolerance of anxiety that comes up when we pause, the tolerance yeah. of anxiety when we take a, a little bit deeper look at things in our life and ask some of the questions that you're suggesting that are just these really rich questions with potential to say, hey, what if there's more? And if we can yeah. kind of hold off on the anxiety avoidance, maybe we get to kind of mine down into and see these things. Start, yeah. Starting just for a second, though, your newest book, Life Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World, when we consider anxiety, about 19% of the population experience some form of an anxiety disorder. Define for us your understanding and definition of anxiety that you use in an operationalized way. At, at a very basic level, anxiety is a signal. I mean, yes. evolutionary psychologists have talked about this, signal anxiety. It's, it's a, a warning that there's imminent danger. And of course, it goes way back in our primal past, both as children and as species. 
Sure. You know, warning us that the tiger's in the woods, it's lurking, and we got to do something, right? So we start sweating, our heart races, mm-hmm. and our body mobilizes for fighting or, or fleeing. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. It, it it's, can be very adaptive. The problem is that anxiety, as we've discovered more and more in our contemporary lives, is more dimensional than that. And that's a, a rather narrow view of anxiety, especially in our world today, where there aren't as many imminent threats. I'm not denying that there are urgent threats at times. Mm-hmm. And so life, what I call life-enhancing anxiety, is, is not really all that relevant for a moment a person is uh, about to be kicked in the stomach or, or right. you know, an imminently dangerous situation. However, many of our lives, I think we would grant in the everyday, have to do more with symbolic anxiety, more of our our fear of that which is unknown and foreign and different. And we haven't really developed the tools to work with with those dimensions. And so what I call life-enhancing anxiety is the capacity to live with and make the best of the depth and mystery of existence. That's one way to put it. Another maybe more concrete way to put it is the capacity to live on and make the best of the edge of wonder and discovery as opposed to just terror and overwhelm. The terror and overwhelm is the signal anxiety that I was talking about before. But if, if we can realize that often we're not quite under that threat and take more moments to pause and develop presence to our whole body experience. Yeah. We can work with the wonder and potential discovery and creativity. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com slash bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. I love what you're encouraging here because if we can stop sometimes, and a lot of, you know, most of these things we're, we're unconscious about, you know, and part of therapy gets to make the unconscious conscious. And there's a real beauty in that. And sometimes we think, well, if I make that, you know, knowingly, if I make that conscious and then am I going to be stressed out or see some things that I don't want to see, but with a therapist help or just that own discover, we find that it's not all that bad, you know, whether it's a fight or flight or fawn or freeze, you know, or whatever it may be that we do in response. It's typically when we kind of break it down, what you're encouraging us to see here is it's, you know, I oftentimes think of anxiety as it's the perception of a threat and the yeah. perception that I can't handle that threat. And the key right. word in both of those, both halves of that is the perception. 
that I've assigned meaning to something that I haven't seen before, maybe even looked at it. But maybe with your help as my therapist, I get to say, hey, is that maybe once upon a time, but is that really a threat now? Is that something exactly. that really, is that really looms, you know, large? And what you're saying is it maybe indicates something. Maybe there's an opportunity though to grow in it, which is, I think, one of your greatest encouragements here. And I think, you know, most want to employ the pleasure principle, seek pleasure, avoid pain, or, you know, in case of anxiety, but you're encouraging folks to reframe anxiety, that it is actually can be a life enhancing construct for us to look at and lead us to a more sustainable and as you refer an awe-informed world for yeah. one's life explain that part to us because there, there's a real nice invitation there yeah well it, it relates to all of the levels that you're talking about i mean it, it's basically about finding a sense of safety internalizing a sense of safety within oneself yes. of course a good therapeutic environment a holding environment between parents and children for example can can facilitate that can support that uh so it's it's about building an inner home such that uh -huh. one can be more present to the variety of feelings and thoughts and body sensations and imaginings that we have and that really can open our worlds, right? Yeah. To other people, places, things. And that in, in optimal therapeutic circumstances can lead to a sense of awe, what I'm calling yeah. a sense of awe toward living, which is, which is the humility, the sense of the capacity to be with one's smallness, one's vulnerability before the vastness of existence and wonder our capacity to venture out to take risks to be bold mm. within that vast existence and foreignness that we come into or novelty so it's the humility and wonder or sense of adventure toward living and man if you can develop that attitude that approach to general living that is one of the greatest gifts that one can have I, I can speak very personally and i feel that i have had the privilege to have that gift of you know it's not perfection but of having had pivotal therapy in my own life that's helped helped to free me up the place where I can experience much more of life as an adventure rather than a, a burden or, you know, or, or an overwhelming uh, terror. There's a process in that. I, I think maybe we're going to be maybe shifting a little bit into your reference to of a developmental arc, but in that you're sharing and kind of disclosing right now, give us kind of the kind of the pithy parts, if you will, of a before and after, you know, here's where I was and yeah. here's what I found myself going through in my process here. And here's what I'm coming out the other side with. Yeah. Give us an appreciation of your own growth, would you? Yeah. Well, it really began for me when I was about two and a half and my seven-year-old brother died of a series of diseases. And it was a 10-month process. So it was a very, as you can imagine, a extremely trying process, uh, not, not only for me, but for my parents. Okay. Anyway, I went into a big down spiral after his death. And 
I had the great privilege of uh, having psychologically minded parents who actually referred me to a child mm. psychoanalyst when I was six, because I was in very bad shape emotionally, even at that point. Mm. Um, and this analyst was pivotal uh, in my life in that I was able to shift over quite a period of time from a sense of abject terror and paralysis about mm -hmm. life and dying to gradual incremental intrigue mm -hmm. about what has opened up in my world to my imagination, to my sense of play. The analyst helped me to ask questions, you know, to inquire into what was going on. So it was a very exploratory process. I was just six, so it was limited. But, but he encouraged you to take risks nonetheless of just kind of yes. mining down into what you could access at six. That was and so pivotal. As well, in, in our relations. Yeah. So uh, I, I moved from terror to wonder, back to terror, and then yeah. more and more of expansion of, of wonder. Yeah. And, and I, I really think that that was key to my whole path toward becoming a writer, becoming fascinated by science fiction when I was a kid, and eventually becoming a psychologist and being fascinated by the human experience. What do you mean by that idea of, of wonder and kind of an awe being inspired here? What Buff that out for us a little um, bit. It's like the an opening to the more of who I am, who I was rather than being so stuck in, in the narrow and devaluing identifications. Like I was just this very extremely vulnerable kid who was going to have an illness or going to die, or I was threatened, felt threatened constantly, um, or devalued myself in some ways, maybe blamed myself. So to, to be able to move from that to a much roomier experience of living, and partly that was through the modeling of my analyst, and, and later a depth therapist that I had in graduate school, that's a whole other story, was also critical to my life path. But it, it was internalizing their great capacity to be present to their whole beings, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I think, right. that helped right. me to then open up to feeling like I was participating in something much greater than myself. I think that was a, the spiritual aspect of that sense of awe and being fascinated, again, by like science fiction, which opens us up you know, to strange beings and strange minds and peculiar places. Again, that which is other and different, but could be a, pl a playground of discovery, too, and progress. You know, I think about, and I, and I admire your, and I appreciate your transparency and disclosure here to us about what you went through. And, you know, I think, hey, what if the six-year little boy who went through this trauma in his life never had received this help and what he becomes? And also what he doesn't become, he doesn't become this man who's made some, such significant contributions to this field, to other people's lives. And there's so many pivotal moments 
and other people's lives where they don't get this kind of help. They don't think about pursuing this kind of help. And their real self, their real potential doesn't get realized in a way that can be transforming and growth oriented for them and contributory in the rest of the world. And it's it's a shame, isn't it, when that happens? I'm thinking, I'm thinking about your your work as you work with people and you reference this developmental arc and helping them see what you know what life can look like on the other side tell us about this developmental arc and the process you take folks through well i mean firstly i i try to build a relationship with the person you know really just try to get to know them and get a sense of what really what really matters here what what's really going on between us and within them and gradually invite them to explore uh, again what you know is most present for them pretty much in the here and now after i've gotten some background on where they're coming from i do think that's important in context and and i also work integratively so i try to connect with the person where they're at not everybody has the desire or capacity for the deeper kind of encounter that we've been talking about before and i respect them but sometimes if you work with somebody more at a say a programmatic or a medical level those form footholds for people then to go into deeper issues Mm -hmm. and questions Mm -hmm. but it's so important i think for the therapist to be available to that depth so i try to be available to calling attention especially for people who seem to have the desire and capacity to go deeper, calling attention, not just to the words that they're saying, but how they're saying them, what's happening in their body as they're saying them, how they're holding themselves, uh, whether their their voice maybe trailed off as they said something, or they had a certain expression on their face, which maybe was different than the words that they were saying. Uh, We find we meaning depth existentially oriented therapists find that that process aspect as distinct from content can be powerful gateways into people becoming more present and connecting with over time, connecting with the most difficult even tormented parts of themselves mm-hmm. so that they can literally and figuratively reoccupy the parts of themselves that they've blocked off and come into their fuller being, come into yeah. the more, as I was saying before. Mm-hmm. Come into the more. I like that. It's a beautiful saying, coming into the more that you haven't discovered yet or maybe even know exists, but maybe we can explore that together and mine that together in a way that in that discovery and in the process of, you know, taking a look at those areas that might be anxiety provoking, maybe they're a signal to us. Maybe they're kind of directional arrows that say, come this way rather than avoid this. And I was thinking about a podcast I did a little while back with a guy named Saz Razvi, who does work with psychedelics. Uh-huh. And he's talking about how when we use our defenses, we, yeah, we feel less anxious. And a lot of times in therapy, we teach people how to use certain coping strategies to manage anxiety and reactive moments. And those aren't bad things to develop whatsoever. But if we can embrace and hold and sustain, and I think this is what you're saying right here, it can be life enhancing if we can embrace that anxiety, hold it, even physiologically go through it, 
tolerate it with a therapist helping that holding relationship that we get to provide, man, if we can come through that, there's something that emerges that's pretty exciting, isn't there? Absolutely. And and that that holding is critical. And the modeling of the therapist holding whatever comes up, I mean, short of, of course, a physical threat or an Im- imminent emergency, but but basically that modeling of the fellow traveler, as Irv Yalom puts it so beautifully, versus, let, let's say, just enacting the, the doctor with the white coat who's going to give yeah. you something. The fellow traveler who can be with you and, and preside by you through your greatest hell yeah. uh, can become an internalization for that patient that is life-giving and lifelong. I can attest to that. Absolutely. Kurt, there's a lot of lot of challenge right now, just nationally and you know, in families and in our lives in general, where we've got splits and we have a division. And if you look at a family system, that never does a family system any good. If there's splits and divisions and we begin to scapegoat and we begin to uh, really miss out on some really wonderful opportunities. And I think there's a lot of factors at play around those splits. And I think there's some larger things at play. But for the moment, you have leaned into and developed some things around addressing this and ways to facilitate an opportunity to come together in some pretty unique ways. You put together what you refer to as the core of depth healers. And I would love for our listeners to understand that better, how they came about and what your mission and purpose is around that. Share that with us, please, would you? Yeah, thanks, Graham. The, the core of depth healers was a recent idea that is, is now available at YouTube. It's a channel on YouTube. It has a lot of examples of mainly uh, therapists, depth-oriented therapists who are, are attempting to translate their depth principles of practice to social crises. And so the videos give examples of that for people, and especially for people who are trained to work with others or have some background in working with others, to engage in, for example, bridge building dialogues between people of very different cultural and political backgrounds. And I also have an exa- a number of examples of what I call the experiential democracy dialogue, which I developed some 15 years ago, but also updated based on my uh, training as a, a moderator for the grassroots movement called Braver Angels, which is now in all 50 states, and bring self-identified liberals and conservatives together for living room style conversations. Yeah. But the experiential democracy dialogue is something uh, I've written about in the, in the depolarizing of America that people can use, especially if they adhere to the ground rules and get some more background on the process, which they can do at the website, at the channel, and uh, in the book, where they can apply it to right. their household conflicts, community, uh-huh. and other places where, you know, such cultural political conflicts are a major challenge for people. It's a six-phase approach. I really appreciate you sharing this with us. And I'm going to get the, the the YouTube link as we talk about resources in just a moment. But what a critical time to have a tool like this and something that could be facilitated. 
And I think that the divisions that we see right now going on, psychology, mental health, practitioners have a unique uh, set of qualifications, backgrounds, I think a mindset to bring systems together because we're only as good as long as we're not being divided. And so what you're doing, I, I so deeply appreciate. And people right now, I don't believe know how to bridge some of these gaps. And I think talk about anxiety. I think what happens is that in these discussions very early on, without a whole lot of depth or understanding of oneself or really what's going on, people quickly move in an anxious, oftentimes unknowing way to, to anger, to, you know, cancellations, to everything else we see going on right now. And you stunt the growth of what can be so, so personally interesting in one's life, but you also foreclose on a very necessary set of conversations that are essential for us going through, not just in a family or as a community, but as a nation. So I really appreciate this part. Yeah, thanks. I mean, you really point to the problem of how quickly uncomfortable conversations and ideas go downhill. And yes. I think that has a lot to do with how primal the issues are. Yeah. Primal anxiety right. is. And so yeah. we don't learn the tools of presence, which these illustrations are designed to help people with, we're going to continue in this vicious spiral of polarized minds. And we'll get nowhere. We'll just have these, you know, these, these very sad moments. I love the idea that even your book around this idea of uh, love, excuse me, well, it is going to be love, actually. So I, I think we come out on the other side of, I think it's going to be love. That's a kind of a fun slip right there. But the idea that this life enhancing anxiety gets to be applied to this as well. How can we manage our anxiety enough to create some life-enhancing discussions, some life-enhancing growth with one another and appreciation for how we're better as a whole, despite our differences, that can be really uh, kind of growth-oriented. Well, I love this. And we're going to bring you back to talk about this. I'm going to flag that with you right now. I'd like to go more in depth. What I'd like to do, just as we begin to kind of wind down for today, I'd love our listeners, Kurt, that are experiencing anxiety in their lives or maybe even some other emotional or life or relational challenge that they're going through to leave today's podcast with a word from you about ways that they can best kind of understand and frame these challenges and work to define a deeper meaning in their lives. Give us a word as we exit today. I think just taking some private time to slow down and to check in with what's really going on in one's life right now. And, and try not to, you know, figure it out per se, or even do anything with it per se, but right. just give it a few minutes to see what's operating on you. Maybe even journal, write it down. So don't do something, just be in that moment if you can. In that moment. And, yeah. and if it, you find that it's overwhelming, of course, I would right. recommend seeing a therapist and especially someone who's trained to, to work more, more in depth. And I know that that's not easy to find, but, you know, there are even university settings that have low, low cost therapists who practice in that way. Really good. Really good. Kirk, as we wind down for today, I'd love our listeners to follow up with both you and learn more about your book, Life Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World, and also the YouTube channel that you mentioned in our show. Give us some links that those that are listening can follow up with after they listen for today. Okay. Uh, well, the Life Enhancing Anxiety book is available online uh, through University Professors Press or Amazon, 
Barnes and Noble, et cetera. And I also recommend that people check out The Polarized Mind and The Depolarizing of America. Those can be good background as far as the dialogue formats we were talking about earlier. And the core of depth healers is a channel on YouTube. All people have to do is put in the uh, space for titles at YouTube core, the C-O-R-P-S of depth healers, and they'll get right to it. Hey, Kurt, I would also like people to follow up with you on your website. Can you also give that to us? Yes, my website is kirkjschneider.com. It's that simple, www.kirkjschneider.com. Outstanding. That's terrific. We're also going to put those on our sites. Kurt, I want to thank you for today. I so enjoyed being with you and uh, had a very nice presence. And uh, I can see how people would kind of just lean right into bind their anxiety with your help and walk away with some really life enhancing opportunities to grow. So thank you for our time today. Thank you very much, Graham. This was life enhancing. <laughs> well, I would write back at you. Thank you for that. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Kirk and me today. I always enjoy having you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources, including all the information from Kirk today and all of our other episodes as well, can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.